Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to a very special edition of the ODPH podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. And as you can see, if you're watching this on Nerd Initiative YouTube, we have an all-star panel in the studio because there is a book that dropped today at your local comic shops, at your bookstores that you absolutely need to have. You should already have it in either this Kickstarter form or you should have it in its three volumes of book one by Image Comics and Black Market Narrative. But if not, this is a perfect time to get into this book. But before we get talking about this book and introduce our special guest, let me go around the room and introduce our illustrious panel. First and foremost, starting to my far right, your left on the screen is my co-host of the ODPH. You know him as the one and only Padawan Jay. Uh, I'm on camera, so I hope you know my uh, pay request will be increasing. We get paid. I was going to say, I'm going to pay, I'm willing to say, I'm going to pay him five times the amount that we normally pay him. Yes. Ooh. All right. See, <laughs> I'm in. That's how you know it's a big deal because Pad does never does not do streaming at all. Nope. So that's what, how much of a fan he is of this book and rightfully so. Right next to him though, you know him as the co-host of the 607 TWS. You know him as the host of 3FN Podcast and the CEO of 8122 Productions amongst many other things. It is the one and only Rich. I keep getting job titles added. After today, I'm also going to add Engineer Extraordinaire. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And to my left, your right at home, I don't even try doing his intro. I let him take care of that. Come and Agile Live and Direct straight from a folding chair in the ODPH studios. It is I, off the cuff, Tom. Always a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much, Nerd Initiative, for having me on. Absolutely. And we have a special guest on the line because, like we say, the book that you can see right in front of you is a amazing read. It is one book that you definitely need to have in your collection. Like, I can't scream it enough. From everybody we talk to, obviously, everybody knows about the Massive Verse and how much that is comics' most exciting universe. And this year, we were gifted an absolutely phenomenal story that is now in trade paperback form at your comic shops. And like I always say, I can shill this all day, but we have somebody on the line that can talk about it much, much better than I. You know his work from Self-Made, Ultraman, and Power Rangers, to say the least, but you know him as the co-creator and writer of Inferno Go Red. Please welcome back to the ODPH, the one and only Matt Groom. Matt, what's going on? Oh, not too much. Very happy to be here, though, and thank you for that amazing introduction. I feel like I've just stepped into the ring. That's that's fantastic. Uh, yeah, I, I like to consider myself a professional of shilling this book, so happy to do it a little bit more. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, this is, you know, whenever you're doing creator-owned books, I always feel that's such a personal connection, and it's one that yeah. when you try telling anybody about, like, sure, I mean, we always talk about it because we're all fans, and, like, I, I can't stress enough the fact all four of us are here. The minute I mentioned, a little behind the scenes for everybody, the minute I mentioned, you know, I was interviewing you about this book, everybody was like, yeah, when can I come down? When When can I come down for it? So, that's how much you know this is connecting with people. And just when you, you know, like when we talk about it on the show and we always get hit up about it on the social media, it's like we always preach about it too. But when you are seeing the reaction online today for this, I mean, what is the emotions that are going through? Because I mean, obviously you went through the Kickstarter campaign, mm-hmm. the book came out in the three volumes from Image, and now it's out today at the bookstores. I mean, what is the range of emotions? Yeah, it's a lot to process, frankly. I think that the book in a lot of ways is about having hope when it feels like there's no reason to have hope and sort of persevering through the darkest times. 
and there has been some darkest times in the development of the book. It took a long time to get off the ground and the Kickstarter was a lot of work and nerve wracking. And then in the production, uh, Erica ended up hospitalized for a couple of months. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. It was like, we, she was sort of like two thirds of the way through um, illustrating the book and she was just working so hard that she like, like really badly damaged her arm and couldn't draw anymore. Uh, and the doctor said like, you need to rest or you're not going to be able to draw again for the rest of your life. So we had to, had to pause, but doing that when we had all of the our Kickstarter backers waiting was, was hard. So yeah, there was a, a, a f- quite a few times along the way where it, it was difficult. Um, but that's just kind of the nature of the beast with creator. And now that we're here and it's out and people are really responding to it, it is really gratifying and it makes you feel like it was, it was all worth it in the end. Oh, absolutely. I mean, just hearing the reaction online, like I, I can't stress that enough to everybody I've talked to today has just been really beaming about the book and just the excitement carrying it through. And it, it just, I mean, coming off the heels of Supermassive, which just came out. I mean, I know we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show, mm. but just seeing the reaction going into the summer and just how everybody is so excited for everything you, everybody's doing at the Massiverse you know, team, it's just got to be such an exciting feeling. And now with this book out and everybody has no reason not to have this in their collection, and now they're going to be diving into it. I know Pad wants to talk a little bit about the spoiler-free talk because we are going to kind of break it down like this. We are going to talk a little spoiler-free in yep. the beginning here. And like we do on the ODPH, we will timestamp this on the notes. So if you need to duck out for whatever reason, so you don't have anything ruined, we have no problem doing that for you. But after that countdown hits, we go into full spoiler talk. So you have been forewarned, whether you're listening at home or watching wherever you are in the world. So Pad. Why don't you kick us off? Yeah. So if you got uh, Matt, if you got somebody hitting you up on social media or somebody at a local con who sees the book and it catches their eye and hey, what's this book about? What would you say to them? So Inferno Go Red is about a teen girl named Cassia Costa who has been bouncing around from city to city with her mom. They've had kind of a hard life because of things that happened in the past that uh, left them on the back foot for many, many years. But Cassia gets a chance to turn things around for their family when she gets an invitation to a a really prestigious and progressive school uh, in a city called Apex City, which is basically the most advanced, coolest city on on the planet. And she's very excited for that opportunity, but shortly after she arrives in the city, the entire city is ripped out of our existence and cast into darkness. And it looks like it's going to be consumed in that like one shot at hope that Cassia had would be lost until a magical bracelet rockets into her life and allows her to access the power of Infernal Red. But it's a power that is powered by belief. And Cassia is a very pragmatic, rational girl. Like that's, she's never had a lot of reason to believe in, um, you know, like magical thinking, but she's going to have to find something to believe in because that's the only way she's going to get out of this and protect the city protect her family and find that like little piece of hope that she was missing. Uh, and it's a book that's inspired by my love of Power Rangers, which I had a childhood connection to, but also Tokusatsu, like Super Sentai, which is the origins of that, as well as the YA books that I love reading growing up, as well as all, all the superhero comics I love. So it's kind of a fusion of all of those things. And it's written to be hopefully accessible to everybody. Uh, one of our big goals with this was having a book that you could hand to literally anybody, even if they've never read comics before or they've never read superhero comics before. This is something that has no baggage or backstory. It reads like 
but got kind of the shape and structure of a prose novel. So it should be accessible to everybody and it should have a little something for everyone, hopefully. No, it definitely does. I mean, the one thing that it really captures is like you touched upon, the theme of this book is finding hope and hope in a hopeless place because of yep. what she goes through and the trials and tribulations of, we always say it's cliche saying with great power comes great responsibility. But when it's thrown into her, when she's not looking for it and she's put into a situation where she is literally all apex city has to fight off the evil threat that is looming and does the most dastardly deed possible that she has to become a hero reluctantly. But by the time we get from point A to point B, she finds hope through the strength of her family and friends that when it comes to the big bad finale, she's ready to step up to the plate and fight. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's also like, we were very cautious with this book to make sure that it's a, uh, I think a nuance and balanced conversation about the idea of belief. Um, and this is going to be sort of a running theme of the book going forward, but in a lot of ways, it's a, it's a metaphor for what teenagers go through in the world at the moment. Like we ask they, things, things are really bad out there in the world. I'm not sure if anyone's noticed, but oh, yeah. Yeah. not yeah. so good. Yeah. Uh, and we have this bad habit, I think, of of saying to teenagers like, oh, you you guys are great. You're going to be the generation that transforms the world. You're going to fix everything, despite the fact that we've kind of dealt them the worst hand. And we're asking them to, like, fix the world, despite this sort of, like, baggage that we're leading them with. And they're kind of going to have to do it because what sort of choice do they have? Like, you need a lot of belief to succeed when the odds are really bad. But there's also a dark side of that. Like when you believe despite things around you, it can reach a problematic extent where you're deluding yourself. So mm -hmm. like, what's the balance there? How do you have enough hope and belief to do the impossible, but how do you not lose yourself in the process? Um, so it's going to be sort of like the ongoing balance of the book going forward. Like I say, it has just such a strong message that connects with everybody right now. And it really goes into what we look for as superheroes like the genre right now in my opinion you've got so many different styles of storytelling and what you and everybody else at black market narrative does with the massiverse is you've made it modern but it also still connects with those traditional themes like there's never a time i pick up the book and i feel like okay this is supposed to be too cool or too hip or too edgy or anything like that but you can just tell by reading cassia's story is just it's still such a traditional uh, superhero story, but yet it's told in such a modern way. And that's one thing I, I think I love about it and really gets me excited to talk about that book because it just connects with me as somebody that grew up reading superhero books all the time that, yeah, there's still a place for this in the world. And it's always a, just such a great message to, to deliver. Yeah, thank you. I, I'm, I believe in superhero comics in a lot of ways, right? Like, I think there's so much to be gained from that. Um, but the the balance of that is that it, you've got to make sure that you're contributing something new and you're bringing some fresh perspectives to that. But I, I couldn't make a book that's overly cynical about the idea of superheroes, I don't think. I just, I don't have that in me. I think I'm too much of an earnest person. Um, and I think part of the the key to success there is like constantly interrogating the the things that you're working with like you're working with familiar material, but always trying to find new ways in and then partnering with people that have fresh perspectives and that, you know, are going to bring their own thing and something that hasn't been seen in these sorts of stories before. So I think Erica is a big part of that. The illustrator in the book, I go, the colorist uh, is a huge part of that as well. Like his palette 
feels like something that we haven't seen in superhero comics before. Mm-hmm. And then even down the, like to the design work of the book, we wanted to make it feel, and this is a big thing for all of the massive verse and all the black market narrative books, but every part of it, we want to be pushing it. We don't want to be complacent in any way. Um, so I think that's kind of what you have to do in, especially with the market as it is at the moment, like you can't afford to rest on what succeeded before you have to be constantly trying to find the, the new way forward. No, absolutely. I mean, it's just, it's always an ever evolving market and you never know what the fans are looking for, but with just the excitement that's coming out of this book and it's literally been there since the Kickstarter campaign was even mentioned. And it's now with each issue that came out through image and now with the trade paperback, it's really getting building to such a, a, you know, a fever pitch, so to speak, that I know fans are super excited to see what else happens with Cassia and her story moving forward. But before we get into that, we do have to talk some spoilers because I, I think with the conversation, how it's going to go, I know something's going to slip out. So I definitely want to get into that spoiler, <laughs> spoiler talk now. Yeah. So like we do on the ODPH, we got to give you that countdown after the countdown is fair game. So in three, two, one, this was an absolutely amazing series and the battle with the Griffin <laughs> just was complete um, like superhero one one but it delivers on such a level that I just, it was excitement. And then when you have the big reveals of how Cassie is powering up, I mean, I think that was something that I was more surprised with, but because I just didn't think we were going to go right there at the, at the end of the series. I don't know. Like I said, we're going to come back a little bit, but that was just the fight scene. I just had to say like, that was one I was sitting there. Like the minute she goes Inferno girl red, red blazing, it was like, Mm -hmm. Oh, here we go. And just <laughs> the amazing artwork by Erica and Igor on this just absolutely blew me away. And just, I mean, going into this, like with the direction of the story, it just really shows how hope can conquer all. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think like talking about Erica and I got taking it to the next level there, one of the uh, most enjoyable things about working in the book behind the scenes is seeing people look at the early art and how far they are pushing that. And that everyone's going like, wow, this is like, it's so bold and bright and powerful and i'm sitting there knowing that they're not actually at maximum yet and that when we get to that point in the book they have further to go and we can really unleash them there um was very exciting but i think like that that big fight with the griffin at the end is one of a few different ways or one of the few different reasons why i really pushed for the format of the book that we have because the fight is long. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think it feels feels like it, hopefully. But oh, yeah, we definitely. spend something like 24 pages in that fight, which in a traditional comic series, that'd be a whole issue. And you couldn't get away with just doing that, right? Mm-hmm. But it, approaching it this way, making it a graphic novel that we're able to then break out into sort of like 40 pages chunks, it allowed us to spend time in those scenes and really i think uh, do the justice and i think that's why it does feel a little bit more like a novel than some uh, other comics might is because we could like take the time to do the big stuff and have like a fight like that that feels impactful because it's not just a few splash pages and then you're moving on you really get to go through all the beats of the fight the history of anna and dr eric carroll and just the history of them you know how much of that story plays together? Like how much does Anna really know about the Inferno Girl Red mythos? That's an excellent question. Um, it, it's, I, I know the answer to that question, but 
it's something that we're going to tease out a little bit as we move forward. I think that uh, it, when you're building a world like this, it's very important to make sure that it feels uh, lived in and built. And all of these characters have existing relationships, right? Mm-hmm. And that the relationship between Anna and Dr. Caro Janine in the past is something that is going to ripple through the book uh, for a long time. And we wanted to make sure that we fully understood that before we really did anything else. So, yeah, I don't want to say too much about that, but I think that exactly how much Anna knows and the nature of the relationship between those two people is going to be an important engine for things moving forward. Yeah, because obviously of how it's bookend, because when you meet Anna in the beginning, you have the flashback sequence of when she first encounters Inferno Girl Red at that time. And then obviously with what happens at the end of the book and Dr. Caro finally reveals herself to Cassia, like it almost is like a bookend moment that this is where it started. Now this is where we're going. And I loved how that was set up too, because I really think that that is going to kick off the next phase moving forward with that. Absolutely. Yeah. I think Cassia is in a lot of ways defined by the close relationships that we, she has with people. And I think more than anyone, she had an extremely close and beneficial relationship with her mother and now that that is over at least for the time being uh she's going to need new sources of inspiration and leadership um but i think she'll discover that the old sources are uh, different from the new sources and that she's going to have to find a different way to navigate moving forward absolutely uh so uh the helix campus is there more to it than what it, there seems to be on the surface yes literally yes uh <laughs> yeah. there, I, there, there is a um what may seem like a throwaway line in the book where when they're scanning for energy sources um like places that draw a lot of power there's like one over there that is the tower where the griffin is and like right yep that's where we need to go but there's also something going on underneath the campus that we don't really understand at this stage and it's drawing a lot more power than it should uh so yeah there's for sure something going on there awesome now with the original encounter that happened at the dorms uh was it a planned attack because they knew that she was able to be in front of red or was this uh spur of the moment was this just you know what exactly was the the idea behind that whole when the initial attack happens on cassia's dorm room yeah because there's a line that they do say about streamer and it looks like they're going after her roommate right away but was that just kind of a bait and switch a little bit that they were going after cassia because they knew something was going on with her nope they weren't going after cassia and the monster was absolutely going after her roommate um so the, the 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 shards of entropy, as we are calling them, I'm not sure we have actually called them that in the book, are, okay. are sort of like fragments of this grand thing that is bearing down on everybody. And they will seek out people who either are or have the potential to uh, rise above and lead people and uh, sort of like stop humanity's downfall, essentially. Uh, and that's not to say that they have a, a particularly complex sense of cognition and that they're going to be planning, especially, uh, at least without sort of help and guidance, but they know who they're looking for and they know why. And in that moment, it wasn't Cassian. Yeah, because that was one thing that I, I thought when they said streamer and I was like, okay, wait, they're going after a roommate, but we don't obviously know Harriet's story just 
just yet but i was like maybe that's kind of a little a little bit of a you know smoke and mirrors so to speak because with obviously cassia's connection and as we get in later in the book with anna and the griffin knowing each other a little bit too that i figured like maybe that was a planned attack that she that with cassia now coming to helix campus there's more people that know that this is just not a, an ordinary student coming to campus the question of to what extent cassia is or isn't an ordinary student and how much she's like fated or destined to be intertwined with all of this will be the subject of some discussion in a potential book tube if that happens also i want to mention how wonderful harriet is is you know the guy in the chair and the support for cassia <laughs> i mean you, you you're your heroes are only as good as the people that they're around absolutely yeah i think harriet um something of a breakout out star i think it mm -hmm. I, from the messages that i get on social media and, and things like that it's definitely like more harriet more harriet which i absolutely understand and uh people will be well served uh in that way i think thank you uh so what exactly what dimension exactly is apex city in now you know i don't know i want to say with too much specificity except okay. that it is outside of any traditional reality. So this isn't just another universe that has another earth or something like that. This is uh, different and a part of the regular sort of multiversal system uh, and not a great place to be. I think it's fair, fair to say. Pocket dimension. I feel like pocket is underserving the gravity of it, but you're thinking kind of the right direction. Hmm. Mm. Excellent. He's sniffing it out. <laughs> I knew I, that's what we keep him around for. Yeah. Uh, in uh, book two, uh, Cassia hears the dragon. Is that dragon uh, supposed to be Thomason? It's not supposed to be Thomason, but again, you're sniffing in the right direction there. Oh. Um, but I, I also think that what Cassia's mom, what Anna says to her at the end about the dragon is true and, and should be taken. Um, Literally, she says, like, there is no dragon but you. So, yeah. I wouldn't be looking too externally, necessarily, for, like, a distinct entity. But um, I also think it's it's fair to acknowledge and understand that there's a lineage that Cassia is only scarcely aware that she's a part of. And that's probably going to factor into things as things continue. Yeah, because especially with Tomas and uh, making such a... a a huge impact in Supermassive 2023. I mean, taking out Rogue Sun in the first page. And uh, as the scoreboard says, Inferno Girl Red 1, Rogue Sun 0, uh, as far I, as that. I, just, okay. I would like to say, Ryan Parrott will kill me if I don't jump in and say that although we only see the end of the fight, there was a very long, drawn-out battle before page one, and Thomas had only barely eked out a victory. <laughs> Sure. What, whatever you need to sleep at night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like watching a Miami game. Oh, I know when Ryan sees this, I'm going to get a DM about that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but with, especially with Tomas and the, to jump into uh, making such a big splash in Supermassive and being the one of the big surprises there, going yeah. and making such an immediate impact and really being the one to save the day and having just this wonderful story going on. It was kind of led on to believe with who we saw at the end of Supermassive that we have not seen the end of Tomasin. And I was wondering 
is there going to be any more tie-ins with one medieval spawn and Tomas and maybe down the road? I couldn't say. Uh, I think that, okay, here's what I'll say. All of us, and I think perhaps me especially, would never introduce something without some idea of how it could benefit the story moving forward or, or how it could mechanically fit together, which isn't to say that we will. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are all sorts of hurdles to these things. And and also sometimes you develop a story and then you realize that it's actually not going to be as meaningful or important as you thought it was. And you don't want to put something out into the market that's not great. Um, so certainly no promises in that way. But um, yeah, we wouldn't do something that we didn't consider had potential for further development i guess i'd say all right and then especially talking about getting such a character like medieval spawn into the massiverse i mean how did that whole idea come to be you know that was purely down to when we were all working on supermassive together in the earliest stages um we were aware uh, i will say just quickly now for this is i'm about to do some rogue sun spoilers so uh three two one for that one um when we were aware of the status quo of Rogue Sun and that Caleb would be sort mm-hmm. of like driving the Rogue Sun body at that point, that there was this interesting opportunity to delve into some of Caleb's history in that sort of medieval time frame. Uh, and at that point, I was like, well, I've been developing all of these ideas for Infernal Go Red and sort of the lineage there and the idea that the br- the bracelet is multiversal. Uh, and could be used by different people in different universes. So there's a very good chance that there was an Inferno Go Red at that time, and they may have interacted. And we played that idea out and discussed it. We're like, great, here's all this these potential. And at that point, um, we were discussing the idea that, you know, like Caleb must have died at some point, and could that factor into the story? And in those very early discussions, I honestly can't remember who it was. I feel like it was either... Kyle Orion said, well, you know who else is medieval? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I uh, brought it up, said, yeah, well, is there a place for medieval spawn? And I think Ryan and I in particular were like, "There, abs- yeah, there absolutely could be, and sort of discuss what the shape of that might be. Uh, and then I think what we arrived at was like, it's going to be a small moment at the end, a tag, if we can make it happen at all, because we had no idea, right? Yeah. Um, but we wanted to make sure that, as I was sort of alluded to before, that it could fit in with everything else and it could explode in something further if if that opportunity arises. Um, but it, it just it took a little while to figure out if that was feasible. So we actually um I was actually writing that part of the script, the, the end part, and wrote the secret page 51 and then like actually just highlighted the whole page and made the text white so it was like invisible when we sent it to Daniele. And then when we finally got sign off, we just like unhighlighted, like, Daniela, there's a secret last page. Can you do this one as well, please? Um, but that the, the time that it took to make it happen was purely just down to like reaching out to people. Um, Todd was uh, exceptionally accommodating and very enthusiastic. And w- he like his whole vibe the whole time was like, yeah, sounds great. Let's do it. What do you need? Um, oh, that's awesome. No strings attached. No, no anything. He was just like, yeah, let's do it. Um, so it was, that was delightful and it was, it was nice, you know, to have a legend of the industry be like, yeah, uh, let's do it. Like, it's just, it's validating in a lot of ways. Um, but I think like that was part of the reason why we wanted to keep the secret of Thomason for so long, because we didn't know if that was all going to come together in time. So there was 
a world in which we didn't have a major surprise in the book if that didn't come to pass. So we wanted to make sure that there was a big, a big surprise reveal. So I was in charge of sort of like shaping that part. And then the fact that we did get the medieval swan thing at the end was just an added uh, bonus at the end. Yeah, especially that's such a big cosign too. I mean, for Todd McFarlane to allow Spawn to appear in a Massiverse book. I mean, that's if anybody ever wanted validation of what you guys are doing, that is just the, <laughs> the definition right there of just how here, here. how big the Massiverse has come. And I mean, with especially how your characters are, I mean, for for Todd to allow that, I mean, that is just such a, a awesome moment right there. And that's one that like, you, you just don't hear a lot. It, it really seeing too many big crossovers like that. No. Well, if you look at it like yeah. this, you guys got the big crossover and most recently spawn crossover with Batman. So, I mean, super yeah. massive Batman, I guess they're on the same page now. Yeah. By like the like uh, seven degrees of Kevin Bacon or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think like, uh, you know, I can't stop gushing about image comics. Like I, I believe in image comics and what they do and the freedom they allow us. And that comes from the top and it comes from the start. Um, those guys really believe that creators will do their best work when they have total freedom and they're uh, like supported as much as possible. And I think things like this are just like them continuing to live that out. Like Todd didn't ask for anything. He was just like, if this will help you out and you think it's cool, do it. So that's, he's that guy, you know? That's awesome. So going during the fight, did did Park actually know that Dr. Carroll was the original Inferno Girl Red? No. And I think that was actually a great source of frustration for him, that he never got to figure out who she was. But he clearly knew that Anna had some sort of connection. Um, so he was he was close. You know, he was starting to, yeah, get closer. In fact, well, what I can say is that if you happen to read the Ashcan adventure short that we included in, uh, I think it was the back of the third like single issue that was released, or it's in the Kickstarter hardcover. There's a short story uh, sort of set in the past with Anna and the original Inferno Girl Red. And you learn from that that uh, Anna, at least at that point, and we don't know how long this persisted, didn't know the identity of uh, that Inferno Girl Red. And hmm. that was because that Inferno Girl Red was very worried about. Uh, the security of everything and not knowing who in the city was compromised by this cabal. Uh, and you could take that as a form of validation, right? That uh, because there was that firewall of information, her identity seemingly was never exposed. Interesting. Hmm. So the cult members refer to Cassia as Inferno Girl without the mention of uh, any sort of color. Uh, is there, is there any uh, something behind that? Like, you know, the whole idea that we have so many different types of radiant colors uh you know five or six of them are there different inferno colors so the reason that the cult members say that is simply down to laziness that's a, a amount of syllables thing right <laughs> like inferno red is a long name uh i think it's the same reason that anna uh goes sometimes igr and sometimes simply ig it's just it's just about compression having said that if you've read supermassive 2022 you might have reason to believe that there is something along those lines headed our way so uh yeah inferring uh something in the region of correct from the wrong source potentially if the video ever cuts out at any point on us just know that we've said too much and the feed's been cut <laughs> <laughs> we figured out too much yes sorry yeah. kyle uh, we know you hacked us so <laughs> so uh when when griffin makes the comment to inferno girl that you're not the inferno girl not the one it needs uh 
Can you, you know, expound on that a little bit? What what did he mean by that? Whether Janine, the previous Federal Red, knew it or not, uh, Sangho had a r- rivalry there. Like they have been thought in each other's sides for a long time, and there was um, a years long conflict between the two, even if there was some sort of intermediaries involved. And I think when he sees Cassia as in Photo Red, his first reaction is like, you're not her. You're not the one that was a worthy rival for me. You weren't the one who could challenge me. And I think in some ways there's some disappointment there because he he like he loves a challenge. You know, he's conquered the world of business. There's very little friction in his life except for this. And he finally found a way to you know, like level himself up and become a physical threat enough that he could finally challenge Inferno Goret himself. And when he gets that opportunity, he goes like, oh, you're not very good. Like, you're not the one who I was um, in conflict with all of these years. I was hoping to fight her and you're a disappointment to me. And I think in a lot of ways, that's just sort of like compounds Cassia's uh, imposter syndrome in her sense that she isn't the one who should be doing this. Yeah, and especially like when it comes out at the at the end fight scene, and like I say, when she transforms into the next level of Inferno Go Red blazing, you really see mm-hmm. that the comments trigger something in her that obviously she knows her her mother who was kidnapped by the Griffin and used as a as something to bait Cassia out to because he's expecting to see Dr. Cairo, and then when it finally happens, he's just sitting there and just really just talking so much trash to her and just really trying to take her down from everything that she's been building up that finally when you see that moment that it builds in you see her switch up to a next power level and where this was going is is there a rough idea of how powerful the inferno girl uh levels are is just blazing like the the end one right now or is are there more is that that we might be able to see is this gonna I be wouldn't some super ex- saiyan stuff <laughs> <laughs> i was like i've never been a big fan of like super saiyan 2 you know what i mean like um this may be a controversial opinion i i wouldn't be looking for anything quite like that in terms of a very linear progression um having said that cassie's journey is going to be one of growth and she will likely find uh new ways to evolve and some of that will be, uh, you know, in terms of her character and, and the way she approaches the world. And some of it will be delivered in metaphor in this beautiful tokusatsu way where it has a very distinct visual uh, representation. Uh, but yeah, I have an, an idea of how more powerful the blazing form is and how it works and why it works and what limitations it might even have. Um, but that's something for us to sort of like discover as we go forward. Excellent. And Tom, I know we were talking off air about this, that there was some writings on the books that were on the floor of the Griffin's teleporter. Yes. And this was something that I noticed, at least I I thought at first, and I was asking Tom too about this, because a lot of those markings, it kind of looked similar to something we saw in Rogue Sun with Morningstar. Mm. Is there any kind of connection there? Or was that kind of just a little fun Easter egg put in? You know, I've got, to be honest, I don't think that was intentional. I think that was all Erica. And I would be surprised if she was drawing parallels with Rogue Sun intentionally. Um, but there's there's a, a slim possibility that I'm wrong. And, and that was a, a sneaky little point of connection. Uh, but yeah, no direct connections to Rogue Sun right there. 
Okay. Cause I, I couldn't tell like it was just kind of small and, and maybe I'm just overthinking everything about it. So that's why I was kind of like sitting there going like, okay, is this going to, well, I mean, like we, we have in some ways uh, trained you all to look for small connections between the massive first books. So some of that is on us yeah. and some of it is genuine, you know? So. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there, there's just so much to look forward to. And, and especially with the connection that is there with Cassia too, because She's not part of the massive verse universe, like on the same planet. Cause obviously when we first saw her, she came over in the crossover for Supermassive 22. And, and obviously there's different home worlds. So it's kind of yeah. like, is there more of a connection there that there's almost like a similarities? I don't want to say like a bizarro world, but I want to say, is there just like almost like to compare like the Marvels and the Ultimates universe with that? A parallel. Uh, I, Thank you. I would say no to that. Only okay. in that, as we sort of discovered through this supermassive, the bracelet has been to the the world of Red and Black and Rogue Sun. So it's not like Infernongo Red stuff over here, you know, Red and Black and Rogue Sun stuff over here. Mm. They're more infused than it it may seem. And the history of a lot of the stuff in Infernongo Red is a multiversal history. And that's not just because of the other books that was an intended part of the book even before it, it was um sort of like you know became a part of the massive verse and, and in fact like cassia and all of apex city is out of that universe themselves now you know they were ripped out of that that universe so it is a, a inherently multiversal book by nature uh, and that's only going to become more true going forward. Excellent. Nice. Uh, so with Harriet knowing the truth about Dr. Uh, Caro, is she more connected to the uh, mythos with Inferno, Inferno Girl Red than we uh, may think? Uh, sorry, who was the subject of the question at the time? Uh, so with Harriet knowing well, basically the Harriet, truth about yeah. Dr. Caro, does she know more about the Inferno Girl mythos than we might think? No, I think it's fair to say that Harriet doesn't have any secret knowledge. Um, but I think as we sort of alluded to at the start, Harriet has a lot of potential and the darker elements of this universe seem to know that. Um, so it's not like Harriet's hiding any particular secrets, at least of that nature, but she definitely is going to have a big role to play in things going forward. Yeah. Cause I mean, I think we already mentioned she is the breakout star of this book. Like just what she adds to the elements and is the support system that Cassia needs when her mom is not there. And then you see that moment at the end when Dr. Carroll is, talking with Cassie and saying, I will train you. And Harriet's just sitting there being as supportive as she can and really building that confidence up that the next time when we see Cassia, it's going to be a whole new Inferno Girl Red. Yeah. It, it In a lot of ways, you know, I wanted this book to feel like a whole story in and of itself and, and be complete and compelling as a unit. But uh, in a lot of ways, this book is sort of like not just the ori origin of Cassia, but also the origin of of this particular era of Infernal Red and all of the pieces really only fall into place by the end of this. Um, and you'll also see, uh, again, if we do a book two, uh, towards the side of that, that when, those last when. few pieces... <laughs> yes, the question is when. Come into play. Uh, hopefully sooner than you might think, but... Okay, I like that answer. You know what this business is like, guys. We, you know, we're doing the best we can. <laughs> Oh, I I know, but there is there is no way we we could not avoid asking that question because, like I say, I absolutely we, we get hit up so much on our social media asking about book two, and I'm like, I I know as much as everybody else does, but obviously with how great this story is and how much it's connected with fans, 
it's just one of those books that everybody wants to see more of and, and rightfully so. Cause you, your whole team here just did such a phenomenal job with this book. Thank you. I appreciate that. We have every intention on in continuing as long as possible. And we're all very invested in this. So um, just know that not a day passes that we're, we're not all thinking about it as well and um, working to try and make it happen. Well, in the meantime, will we see Cassia pop up in another Massiverse book? Look, nothing's impossible. <laughs> um, but also, I think, like, I would hope that Supermassive 2023 was just another way of us teaching you to not, in some ways, don't even try to anticipate what's next, you know, mm -hmm. or how things are going to play out. Like, if you think that you could plot out how you think this is all going to come together and where these characters will show up next and even like the the form that they'll show up next or the place you're probably wrong um so if, you, if you're looking for more inferno go red um I, I would say that you'll you have to sort of look wide and in unexpected places but we'll tell you you're not going to miss it so <laughs> <laughs> um just just stay tuned i guess is the easiest answer no that, that's that's fair because obviously we since we don't have the official announcement of when I'm just saying when I'm not saying if I'm saying when we have keep it positive well, yes we're th we're putting the karma out in the world so ODPH Society mm -hmm. obviously after you listen to this episode or watch this you need to run down and buy a couple copies of Inferno Girl Red uh, you know Volume One here and make sure you send that message that helps. to the powers that be it truly does yes yeah so that uh, as a uh, creator owned independent run outfit it has the most direct translation to the future of these things that you can possibly imagine like i i work on like marvel books and trust me buying those books helps it helps me um it helps the rest of the team but the most direct way to support us is to buy creator and books and that that's the place where your dollars directly translate into more stories yes absolutely and like i say i I'm, I have a couple copies, so I, I'm definitely preaching this. And like I say, we're, we don't just say go buy this book and then we don't have it. You can see it sitting here right on the YouTube absolutely. channel. Absolutely. And I very watching. much appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. The book is, it, it, there's so much extra bonus stuff in there too, that you get, you know, extra art, all the covers are put in there too. Like I could just rave about that. And that's why I say like, and, <laughs> and for the, and for the value you get too, so you say $17.99 plus tax, it's well worth the price of admission because you get such a quality story going on with this. And also, I would like Thank to you. point out that uh, Tom has been doing a wonderful job doing the uh, hand poses. If you ever need that, we can loan him oh. up to you. I just want to throw that out there. I, I was just thinking, like, we, we did some, like, photo shoots of the book recently. Um, and I was just thinking just then, like, I think what it's missing is some hand poses. Like, <laughs> it, it's really been helping my enjoyment of this interview thus far. So. I mean, you can even go with the voguing of it. You can vogue it. Oh there yeah, throw some there shapes in. There, there we it go. Is. That's what I wanted. This is so going on TikTok after the show too. <laughs> we're we're gonna make this happen. I mark my words. Yeah. So, with no official date of when Inferno Girl Red Two is going to be coming out, what other projects yeah. can we expect to see you working on in the near future? Um, let's let me think about what I can say. Okay. Um, <laughs> mm. <laughs> Uh, this is always the hardest stuff for me. There's actually not a lot I can talk about right now. Weirdly, the thing that I had, yep, Ultraman, absolutely. Uh, there is announced a Marvel Ultraman crossover. I actually don't know exactly when that's coming, um, but it. I'm very excited by that one. Me too. Um, I yeah. think that I, I mean, look, it's on the promotional art. 
Spider-Man's there and getting the chance to write Spider-Man is huge. That's, that's absolutely huge. So yeah, uh, I actually don't even know what it's called yet. I think they've settled on the name, but we're calling it Avengers X Ultraman uh, sort of internally. So that's on the way sometime um, and looking forward to both getting more into the Marvel characters and continuing the story of our sort of iteration of Ultraman and his team. And I think literally everything else is unannounced. Um, but yeah, keep an eye on Black Market Narrative. And um, yeah, maybe there's some other stuff coming from some other publishers soon as well. Oh, there is one more thing. Um, in a couple of months, it will be the 30th anniversary of the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Uh, or at least that will be celebrated by Boom Studios and we're doing a big annual story and I'm doing a, an eight page story in that, that spans 10,000 years, a bit more than 10,000 years. So you have that to look forward to as well. Thank you. Yeah. You just made Tom's night right here. Yup. <laughs> He's a very yeah. happy man. Yes. <laughs> and before we let you go, is there any more update? Are we going to see you at New York Comic-Con? We do know San Diego is obviously in play, but... I didn't wear the shirt on purpose. <laughs> I So I'm unfortunately not going to be at San Diego Comic-Con, but if you, anyone else is at San Diego, San Diego Comic-Con, you absolutely should go to the Massive First Panel because although I sadly will not be there in person, uh, you will not want to miss that for several reasons. Mm. Mm. I, I know i'm so yeah. hoping they're live streaming this i honestly am so crushed i can't make it to san diego because one of the things going on there is has been a like a uh a lifelong pipe dream thing for me so oh man but i'm involved i'm involved and i i take solace in that um new york comic con still up in the air for me i desperately want to go uh eric is going um I think Igor might be going as well. I suspect Kyle will be there. It's just about whether I could rustle up the money to get across the pond from Australia, which has been incredibly expensive lately. But that's why people need I, to go out and buy the book. Yes, exactly. Please, yeah, fly me to New York. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, I, I it's my intention to be there. So hopefully, in a couple of weeks and or a month or so, I'll be able to say definitively, yes, I shall be there. We're putting that karma out there because I gotta have that book signed by everybody too, because. ODPH Society, let me tell you this. If you don't have this book in your collection, you need to fix it ASAP. You need to go out, get the trade paper back, and literally spread the word about this book because it is one of the best books of this year. It obviously is part of the biggest comic universe, in my opinion, that's doing the most quality work time in and time out. Anytime you see a Massiverse book drop, it's always a big event. But when this is hitting the shelves, you definitely need to run to your comic shops, run to your bookstores, go get this and really spread the word about it. Because if we want to see more of this and we do, and trust me, the amount of volume I get on a daily basis saying, asking about Inferno Girl Red, the demand is there, but we got to make it loud at the uh, shops and really send that message that we want to see volume two made. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Oh, absolutely, Matt. Thank you so much for coming back on the show. We definitely want to have you back on when you can announce about a future project or anytime you want to swing through. Obviously, we we enjoy talking with you about shop here. Oh, I'll come back anytime. Love doing the ODPH. It's always a delightful time. Love you guys. Thanks for having me again. Absolutely. 
before we let our panel go, Tom and Rich, thank you guys for coming down. Tom, why don't you let everybody know where we can find you? You can find me all online at Off the Cuff Tom and Off the Cuff Gaming, doing a little bit of this, a little bit of that. So you'll find me wherever you can. I'm on all the majors. And as always, ODPH Rich, always thank you for having me on and Nerd Initiative as well. I'll keep it short and simple. 3FNpodcast.com. There you go. Every, all the information's there. Check it out. The, the show comes out weekly. Uh, whenever I get uh, done with this interview, a little peek behind the curtain, that will be when the Transformers uh, Rise of the Beast review goes up. So Ooh. that episode's a lot of fun. If you're on Patreon, you already have it. So there you go. Uh, all those links, 3FNpodcast.com. For the one and only Padawan J. Thank you. Thank you. I was, I was going to say, wait, you can't do the sports. No, I can't. No. <laughs> yeah. He, he has a different uh, outro for the sports show, but we yes, can't say does. that on here because otherwise we'll get, we'll get a, a nasty uh, oh, DM yeah. about that. Oh yeah. But I'm your host, Ken. Thank you as always for listening to this special edition of the ODPH podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. Go buy Inferno Girl Red volume one trade paperback. Woo-hoo. We'll see you next time. Such wasted time Swiping left and swiping right On people you could know Cause anyone who's worth a damn Be worth way more than a picture could ever show You can find the right light Find the right angle And never find your soul And it can feel like a losing battle And this plot is full of holes This modern way of finding love Just makes me feel so alone And I can't be the only one Sick of staring at my phone So look up time fable everyone has just one true love all i know is you're across this table and you're all i'm thinking of so look up talk to me a better way to spend our energy just look up Swiping left and swiping right on people you could know. Whoa, oh, whoa.